Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air Yeah And the screams from everywhere Yeah I'm addicted to the thrill ready It's a dangerous Stop. love affair Can't be scared when it goes down Got a problem, tell me Stop. now Only thing that's on my mind Is who around this town tonight we got Alex in the studio, uh, Ken, I have no idea where he is, maybe he's going to call in a little while. Uh, Samaj Kadir, she is in L.A. She said she wasn't going to make it today. She had a photo shoot at 3 in the morning, a commercial shoot at 3 in the morning. Now, I don't know what commercial shoot you got at 3 in the morning. Maybe somebody was taking pictures of you at 3 in the morning, but no commercials run to 3 in the morning. I'm not touching that. <laughs> I was look. I'm just saying what it is. I, I've done shoots before, and they, they didn't last in the morning. So, uh, oh, we got Ken on. We, Ken, what up? I don't know what's up. We, we, <laughs> we don't know if you gonna show up sometimes. You, you, vacation, you, baby. You vacation. Stuck. Your phone still work? Huh? Phones work on vacation. Your phones work on vacation, but I ain't working on vacation. Uh-huh, like that. Okay. <laughs> well, you can at least give us a heads up, man. God damn, yeah, you turning like you turning like rich. Mm. Oh no, ain't nobody like rich. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know you got the email that uh, uh, John my, John sent out to me. Uh, well, we got we may have a uh, Jim Leverage. Jim Leverage. Jim the King, baby, the King. Jim Leverage catching heat, and boy, did he catch some heat. He catch, and, and a situation really could happen to any of us, uh, especially uh, Ken. You know how you go out to MJQ down there in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> you come out of there. Yeah, down there last week. Don't laugh. And uh, okay, man, I, you know I went to the spa. It was pretty good. But yeah, catching heat, and we gonna talk to him about his uh, life story. And, and you know, everybody can tell your story, but when it comes out your mouth, same thing with uh, Vic. Vic has uh, with Mike. You know, everybody can tell your story, and but you got to get on the mic and tell your own story the way mm-hmm. it really happened. So we're gonna see what uh, Jim Larry's uh, story is about, and we're gonna talk about baseball from his eyes, uh, from the times he played to where it is right now today. Now, I went to the home run derby last night. It is expensive. To I took I took KJ. You know I um, you know I got about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine kids. I took I took, <laughs> I took KJ. Um, Did y'all draw straws to go? Nope, I just took KJ. He played baseball. <laughs> he played baseball last year, so he got to go. So I'm gonna take him to the game tonight too. Also, um, but man, thirty dollars a park, and I thought I was close. I, I still had to walk. You know I can't walk. I got a condition. Uh, I, I get it. I get in there. Mental illness. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought it was. That that also. But I, well, once we did get in the game, I, it, okay. Before I got in the game, it might have cost me eighty dollars to get into the game. We didn't even eat yet. I can't drink, so I, we was we was watered up. Plus KJ was with me, so well, we was watered up. But eighty dollars before I even get into the game. Tickets two hundred dollars a piece. It, it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Wow. And that was a home run derby, but it was. 
I did enjoy myself. I, I didn't know it was just a just a show before the show uh, today, but it was, I actually had a good time. I don't know if you guys watching it, but Robinson Canoe showed out. Yeah, it was a it was a good show, and it's just funny that um, he was second after the first round with only eight home runs. Just funny how this year it's um, dropped considerably by the amount of home runs that people hit. You think it's the uh, store roads? No, can't be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's something. St- something's wrong. I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe it was the stadium because the stadium's big. I, I don't know. Stadium's big. I think all stadiums pretty much the same size. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of another reason besides steroids. Yeah, it could be steroids. And, I, and I'm gonna ask the. Uh, I don't think Jim was. Uh, I don't think he was a steroid guy. But did he know? Mm-hmm. Now we we we'll let him tell his story. Yeah. We'll let him tell a story. The steroids are what they are. Um, we let, when you're the best in the world. I really and we talked about this on the air a lot. I really feel like you don't have to take steroids. You are already the best in the world. You made it to the top game, if you will, uh, professionally. So what's the steroids for? You know, you want to get healthy, take some time off. They give you time off, 15 days on DL, and maybe some leagues are different than others because you miss time in football. Somebody got your job, you're going to be out of one. Mm-hmm. So, Ken, what, what you been doing, man? On vacation. On vacation, baby. Enjoying it, enjoying it, enjoying it. Other than that, man, just uh, just real busy. Just got back to the swing of things at work, man. Just got a lot of things going on up here. Well, we didn't know you was on vacation. Well, how we didn't know? We didn't know you was on vacation. <laughs> you saw the pictures. I didn't see, I didn't see any pictures. <laughs> that was day one. <laughs> I didn't see any pictures. Where? On uh, Facebook? Yeah. No, I didn't see With no me pictures. With me and your girl, Deidre? <laughs> that was day one. <laughs> Oh, okay. That was the first night. After that, it was just nonstop after that. Uh, you and Deidre hung out? Oh, we hung out that night. We had a real good time. Okay. Yeah, we me and her uh, and another buddy of mine. So, yeah, we had a good time. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, we, um, you and Deidre, huh? <clears throat> nah, man, nah. <laughs> uh, I'm just... Uh, uh, nah. <laughs> let's, let's take some callers, man. Let's let's get into this thing right here. Uh, actually, we have uh, another one of your friends, Ken. Kenya Simone. But I, but I, yeah, but that's 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 irrelevant. Our, our, real, hey our, our real guest is Jim Lyris. We got Jim on the line. Jim, you there? Yes. How you guys doing today? Pretty the good, King. Jim. What's happening? <laughs> All right. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh-huh. We're out here in LA, uh, enjoying the sunshine out here. Must be nice. You Still got your golf clothes with you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Last year with the Dodgers. Man, we were uh, uh, Jim. You on with uh, myself? Uh, Ken from Atlanta. Alex is in the studio with me. How you doing, King? Hey, how y'all doing? And Kenya Simone just called in along with you, with yourself. So uh, we want to. Uh, and we were talking about uh, before you got on that you know everybody can tell your story. We were talking about the book Catching Heat. Man, did you? We were talking. Uh, everybody can tell the story how they want to, but it's your story to tell. And we just want to get to. Uh, we want to just get to what it really happened, what it really is. Uh, and I suggest you go out to get the book, the, the Jim Lever story, uh, Catching Heat. Great book, great life skills, um, a great read. Go out there and get that. Uh, where, are you, where are the books now? Because I got one sitting right in front of me now, Jim. Yeah, I mean, if people want to get them, they can go on, the, on my website, which is jimlerritz.com. So those are the ones that you can actually get autographed, which most people want. So Oh, they autographed it there? Well, yeah. well, what am I yeah. doing with this book? No autograph on it. You're gonna have to. We're, you're gonna have to. I'm, we're gonna have to get together, and I'll find it. All right. Well, yeah, we will get that. Um, but I, I did, we did want to talk about your story, man. It was it was a uh, unfortunate situation. I also want to ask you about the state of baseball too, because uh, like I was talking earlier, we went to the All Star game. It cost me let me see four hundred and eighty dollars before I even got into the game. And this was this was just a home run derby. Exactly. Just, but you know, when I got in there, I had fun. 
And yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough situation. The way the, the way the stadiums now are corporate owned and and it's all based towards corporate you know corporate businesses and things like that with the suites and everything else. It's very difficult for the average family to to really go to a game that they can afford. And uh, hopefully they're going to make some changes and, and, and do some things where they have some. They're, they're able to get the, the regular fans back in the stadiums again. Right, and that's that's a good way to put it. The regular fans, the ones who can come to the game and support you all the way through the season. I um shoot, I got about eight kids, so I had to make them fight. <laughs> I had to make them fight to see who's going to go. <laughs> yeah, well, I believe you. I have three boys, and even though I get the tickets for free, uh, it's it's still a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty dollar day when you go to a ballpark. Which uh, is, and that's one hundred and sixty a piece, right? Yeah, no, yeah. no, they don't need that much. But <laughs> oh, oh you talking about okay, food? Yeah, because I'm just talking about yeah, because my tickets are for free, so I, I, I save that expense, and I'm still spending usually one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty dollars at the end of the day. So okay, well, we're on live with uh, Jim Larrys, uh, eleven years in the majors. A huge homer in 96 to help the Yankees win the championship. Um, but you had some situations along the way. Um, not, actually, not along the way, but after the fact, right, pretty much. A DUI conviction and a acquitted of a manslaughter in Florida. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, just a very difficult time. I mean, it was a situation where um, you know, I'd already been through some, you know, I lived a great major league life, had a great uh, thing, got caught up in it a little bit, had some issues right there, lost a marriage or two through the way, but... Uh, at the same time, was just just in 2003, left the game of baseball to come home and take care of my kids because my ex-wife couldn't. Right. And uh, just how in 2007, I was just putting my life back together. Had a very successful TV and radio career going. Had custody of the boys and was getting ready to move to New York. And then, unfortunately, the night of my birthday uh, in, in 2007, was out uh, with a few friends having a couple drinks and you know got into a car and was driving home and going through a blind intersection. Uh, ran into another driver who had gone through a red light, and uh, unfortunately, since I had been drinking and had alcohol in my breath, uh, the police jumped on me, and, uh, I, you know, any time, I think the the officer panicked a little bit because, unfortunately, there was a death involved, and right. the young woman that lost her life, and how it just took three years, and, and, you know, I talk about it in the book, the last three chapters about uh, the accident and about the three years of just waiting to get in front of a jury, to have a jury, you know, it, within 45 minutes, say that I was not the cause of the accident, which is something that I had been saying for three years. But uh, the state and the prosecution just kept delaying it and delaying it to a point where uh, they were hoping, I think, that I would take some type of extra plea or something like that. And I said, absolutely not. The thing I did wrong that night was drink and drive, and that's the only you know repercussion that I would accept. Uh, but other than that, um, and we had to wait three years to do it, and it took, like I said, a jury less than 45 minutes to see that. So was you uh, incarcerated for three years? Um or was you was you held down for three years, or just back and forth in and out of court for three years? Well, no, I was in and out of court. I mean, there was the situation where this, the, the prosecution hit evidence; they destroyed evidence. We had a, it was about a, after about two years of waiting um, for the trial, a, a week before trial, we found this evidence that they completely destroyed and hid, and knew about the entire time that would have shown that at the time of the accident, really alcohol was is involved, but. Her text messaging and driving and not wearing a seatbelt were the cause of the accident, or of her untimely death. Unfortunately, what's the what's a blind intersection? Let me ask you that. Well, you know, basically, when you you know when you're driving down and and you just you can't see oncoming traffic, and oh, okay. there were some trees there, there was a bus park there, and I never saw the woman coming, and I was going towards a, a green light, turning to yellow, turning to red, and as I was going through it yellow, this girl. Flew through the through flew through and I ended up hitting the back end of her and, and the initial accident wouldn't have probably killed her but unfortunately she did not have her seatbelt on 
and the ejection was, then when she got ejected is what, what, ended up, what ended up causing her death. And uh, and she was texting. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, you know, it was tough. It was, texting it was, is it just was a, a situation where the, the, the judge, um, because I was blamed for the accident, right. didn't allow her text messaging and her not having a seatbelt and drinking into the courtroom to begin with. And, uh, you know, it just made it very, very difficult. But like I said, at the same time, the jury with half the evidence determined that I was not the cause of the accident. But yet... Because I had a drink and a shot before I got behind the wheel of a car, they felt that uh, I, I, I deserved at least a DUI from it, and I got a DUI for the first time. Wow. Mm -hmm. that, and that can happen to anybody, can Yeah. Now, uh, this sounds so familiar, Kwame. I'm sure you can agree with this when we talk about uh, another situation that happened down in Florida with a with an NFL football player, Santonio Holmes. Mm -hmm. um, or was it? Uh, Dante Stallworth. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in same situation. It wasn't his fault, but it was alcohol involved, um, and he was acquitted of manslaughter as well. So now this is a situation where, okay, the prosecution tried to prosecute you for the murder um, uh, due to alcohol, but you was acquitted because uh, the alcohol played a part in it, but it wasn't the actual cause of death. It was the actual. It was her text messaging. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And that was a, really what the judge, the judge was made very clear to everybody was, it's, I don't care what the drivers were doing, mm -hmm. it's who went through the light. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. bottom line was the jury, you know, and the judge said that, that I was not the one that went through the light. Yeah. And that was really the crux of the whole case. And, yeah, and that's very unfortunate when, um, when we talk about, uh, you know, people getting charged with manslaughter and murder these days. They don't look at, okay, what was the other person doing and unfortunately like uh, Dante Starward that guy that he hit he was illegally crossed jay I believe he was what jaywalking jaywalking at night time not, not in the, okay. the cross uh, even though he was drinking he that's why he was acquitted and in your case, that was very, uh, when I first heard about that story, actually a few years ago, uh, I felt that uh, you definitely should have got off of that because that, was, that wasn't your fault, even though alcohol, well, exactly. you did drink. The, the but, difference in the Dante Starworth was that, yeah. they, that was Miami-Dade County, and the mm -hmm. officers did the right thing. They did not arrest him on the scene, which is what mm -hmm. the protocol is anytime there's a man, you know, anytime there's a death involved in an accident. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they were able to investigate and go through different things. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when you make an arrest, which the one officer did to me, mm -hmm. it, it, you have 20 days or 21 days to file charges, mm -hmm. and they have to be done or they, or they get thrown out. And that's why they jumped so quickly to the conclusion that I was at fault and charged me with what they did mm -hmm. because the officer had arrested me, and you know it came up in the courtroom that, that that was the wrong protocol and that if he hadn't have done that, that the investigator may have had time to investigate the girl's driving record and you know the fact that she had gone through lights and you know, just all these other things that would have been very important. Uh, and like I said, during those three years, because they didn't do that type of investigation, and I think once they found out that they had made a mistake, they weren't willing to admit it. They would rather go to the very end. And like I said, it took three years. It took a jury, you know, to, to see this investigator on the stand to realize this woman was just completely lying and not doing her job. And unfortunately, just wasn't willing to admit that she made a mistake. And, uh, that was the tough part, and that's where, during the trial, I actually broke down and started crying because I realized when this woman was speaking and the lies that were coming out of her mouth, we went, two families went through three years of not being able to move forward because of this and, and just how difficult that was for both families to be able to get through. That has mm -hmm. to be tough, especially when you had your... You got custody of your kids. You had a successful radio show. And we're going to talk about all that stuff on the other end of the break. Um, but, yeah, when somebody's lying on you when they know the truth just to get something done, or who was the prosecutor? 
Well, yeah, and at the end of the day, the, 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 the two officers walked away with their overtime checks yeah, right. and went back to doing their job to what they normally do. And you know, the prosecutor got the attention that she wanted because she put her judge's papers in four days before the trial began. Okay. Yeah, it was just, it was just like I said, it was one of those situations where you love the system that we have, you trust in it, but at the same time, there's people that take advantage of it. Yeah, and I don't trust it at all. But we'll yeah, take a break. We'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll finish up with some more stuff. We got the King on with the Quamalasa Sports Talk. We came from the ATL. Alex in the studio. King Simone is quiet. This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'm be- jumping in. I'm jumping in. I'm ready. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyer, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award Program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouye and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. This is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to the Formula Sports Talk. We are on with Jim Larrich. Jim, I'm saying your last name right. Yep. Okay, the King, former Yankee star, convicted of DUI, uh, acquitted of a manslaughter in Florida. Uh, who the victim was of? Uh, Fidel and Vida. Frida Veitch. She Frida actually was a, was a woman that I knew. Mm-hmm. Oh, you knew her? Yeah, yeah. We had some. We had ran in some similar circles. She, I, a couple girls that I knew, were very good friends with her. And that's crazy. Yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, you very knew her. Situation. And y'all was going. Y'all wasn't even in the same place. And you actually had one drink, one shot. And uh, what's Florida's uh, zero point zero eight uh, mm-hmm. level? Yeah, point zero eight is yeah, Florida. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jim, I had a quick question. Um, while at the bar, uh, did any of your friends really just say to you, "Hey, Jim, I don't think you should get behind the wheel"? No, because it wasn't one of those nights. I mean, we had started, we had gone to a place called the Blue Martini, um, a, and had, I had, this was like at eleven o'clock at night, and we met each other out, and I had a drink, and then I took a, one of those Cafe Patron shots, and then we sat around and talked, and just we didn't, we weren't drinking anymore. And then about one o'clock, 
uh, we were all getting ready to leave, and somebody said, listen, let's go to this other bar real quick. My friends are there. Let's go over there. So we went over, and really, same thing. We waited like 45 minutes to an hour for a table, mm-hmm. and when we finally got seated, it was, you know, it was, we, we, we hung out for maybe an hour, and just as I was leaving, I finished my drink, and there were some Red Sox fans. And the Red Sox had just won the World Series that year, and I had covered them for, for uh, ESPN and Fox. And uh, they said, well, Larry, what you got to do a shot for the World Series for the Red Sox, even though you're a Yankee. And I'm like, okay, I'll do one shot. And we left, and we walked out the door. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned through all this is that that alcohol that you drink right before you leave is not in your system until what? 45 minutes to an hour. Yep. And my accident happened 10 minutes later. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was the whole argument was at mm-hmm. the time of the accident, I was not impaired, mm-hmm. but you know later on would have been, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's why, like I said, that's why the jury decided mm-hmm. that you know I I was between a point zero five and a zero seven, even though that wasn't over the legal limit that I had been drinking and I had got behind the wheel of a car, and that they felt that it was necessary for at least to give me a DUI. And I think all that has, uh, and I and I heard that also, uh, thirty minutes, forty five minutes, it doesn't hit you. So most guys are drinking a bar and they stay in the bar. Uh, but you had a drink and you, and you left, so it really wasn't in your system. It didn't really get to the blood yet uh, through your body. Uh, it, it also depends on how much you weigh. I, I know I hang out with big guys that drink all oh, yeah. night. You didn't there's, never... yeah, there's, all, there's all different factors. And I, like I said, through this trial, I learned all, all through all the forensic evidence and things like that that it's what you ate that night. It's how much you, you know, how, what was your habitual drinking? How did you drink? There's so many different things go into the, the, mm-hmm. that, that equation. Uh, and that's why I said that's why the jury, once they heard all that and realized it, said, listen, I, I don't think, and the best thing that I did, even though it's the worst thing that your lawyer will tell you you did, I took a, the roadside video, which, of course, has been on every YouTube and everything else. Uh, that was the best piece of evidence that I wound up having yeah, I to saw show that. that I was not intoxicated. I saw that. You had to take them, that sobriety test is what it was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the roadside test, uh-huh. right? Hey, Jim, this is Kenya. I was reading the story, and I saw that the jurors were ready to announce that they were at, like, a, they were stalemated, like, a, almost a hung jury. Did you get word of that before? Uh, How scary was that to know that they were almost at that decision? Yeah, really, that was probably the most scary part of the trial was the, was the three days that they convened. And, and part of the thing was we didn't realize, and I, I, after the trial was over with, I got to speak to the jurors, which doesn't usually happen, but they wanted to stay around and, and talk to me and tell me how bad they felt about, because they, they knew this, these officers were on the stand lying and they felt terrible about it. Mm-hmm. And so she, she, they said to me, you know, um, you know, we couldn't believe what we were hearing. Um, yeah. You know, and and it was just, it was like I said, it was a tough situation. Um, and I'm sorry, you, your question was again. I'm sorry. No, just I didn't know if you got word that it was oh, okay, that yeah. they were almost at a hung jury or. Yeah, yeah. What happened was um, we went home that night, and you know, as you can imagine, facing 15 years in prison is like facing a life sentence when you have three yeah. boys that are 16, 14, and 10. And mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend and my mom were there, and we just, we just didn't, we couldn't figure it out. We felt confident that, that it wasn't the manslaughter charge that they were hung up on, but we didn't know, and they weren't allowed to tell us. And even though they had decided that night that the manslaughter was already thrown out, it took them two days because there was two jurors that didn't even want to give me the DUI because they understood about how at the time of the accident that alcohol wouldn't have been in, in my system. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally, they decided to change their mind on that Saturday uh, because they didn't want this to be a hung jury or a mistrial to where both families would have to go through this all this pain and agony again. And uh, they decided to go ahead and give me the DUI. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you, didn't, you didn't serve any time for this, just the waiting game of going through a three-year process? 
Well, the three-year process, during that time, I spent 18 days in jail for things that the state tried to, get, to accuse me of. And every time I got back in front of a judge to say, listen, that's not true, and they were lying, I got let back out of jail, and nothing ever happened to them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it, it's an unfortunate situation. But uh, yeah. so just like I said, it was a situation where you, know, you realize that that night, two, two children lost a mother. I lost my my three boys who I had primary custody of didn't know one day to the next whether their dad was going to be coming home, and the whole state the whole prosecution it wasn't about that it was about Jim Leyritz the World Series hero you know kill you know kill somebody and it was just to me like I said it, it was just it wasn't about a woman dying it wasn't about getting to the truth it was about this prosecutor just trying to use this case to further her career and in the end you know what the way God works. She got her due because I think everybody that watched the trial on in, on court TV realized that this woman doesn't belong, you know, in, in, in being a lawyer or being a prosecutor. But she was out to get you though. For uh, and it's it's crazy that you knew the prosecutor and you knew the victim, and that a year's probation is what at the end of the day is what you got. Five hundred dollar fine, uh, wrongful death lawsuit with three hundred fifty thousand to the family. Um, I guess I don't understand when you found innocent that they can come back and get you for a wrongful death when it wasn't your fault and she was texting. Well, actually, what happened, Kwame, was was I, I offered that to the family early on, right away, because I, I told I knew the girl, mm-hmm. and I knew there were certain things. You know, when when you go to a civil case, character issues and a lot of things start coming out, and what was going on in their lives and my life and everything was going to would have would have come out, and my all my stuff had already come out. You know, they talked about my divorce. They talked about all the stuff. I was used to it. You know what? I was a public figure. I'm used to that. But there was two little kids that lost a mom that night that didn't right. need to hear all this stuff about what was going on between their mother and father. Right. And I just I went to the family and, and we were in a mediation in the civil case, and I just said very clearly to the husband, just take the money from the insurance company. I will raise the money for your family, and you know we'll go from there because you don't want this stuff to become public. You don't realize what they will do to your life. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. Like, yeah, and I, I was used to that, and I understood that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, and that's why we settled uh, the civil case way before the criminal case even went to court. Yeah, like can you say that? That's a great deal, man. You're looking out because you, you understand the situation. They drag you through the mud just to get whatever they can. But when you can offer something like that, knowing the situation, uh, her family, her two kids, and the husband there. Oh, have to deal with this. Uh, there's been a lot of financial uh, situation. Are you still doing events and stuff like that to raise money, or uh, was that? Well, that's what. Yeah, that, that's what. Yeah, I'm doing that. Plus the book. The, the proceeds of the book are going to her family. Wow, that's that's excellent. And and also going to the baseball assistance team, which is a, the team that uh, it's a program with the major league baseball that uh, when the players go up, fall, fall on financial hard times and need money, uh, they take care of them. Of course, that three years I needed some help to pay my rent and make sure the kids and I were taken care of and. And they did that for me. So that's what the book proceeds are going to. And once this is all over with and once I get back to, to doing what I was doing before and start my foundation again, uh, that's what will, uh, that money will be going to her family. And like I said, these are two kids that didn't choose to be a part of this. Okay. And, you know, they shouldn't suffer. Well, we're on, uh, we on with the World Series star Jim Larris. 11 years of the major in 96. You went from, a, you went from the guy, the king, into a situation like this. Explain the emotional. I'm sure I, there's no way I can explain it. Uh, no way I can know what you felt. But you hit a homer in '96 that took the Yankees to a championship. Um, that helped the Yankees to a championship. And then you go through a situation like this. You're on top of the world. And I think that's what uh, Alex was asking earlier. 
did they come at you because you were Jim Lerius, uh Also with Dante Starworth, who should have been in camp when he before he had that incident. Uh, do they come at that name and stuff like that? But that emotional high and low you had uh, coming from the '96, uh, being the king, and then coming to being in court. Well, that was just it. You know, right, right when the accident happened, like I said before, I was just putting my life back together after a nasty divorce and getting full. You know, I spent all my money that I played during baseball to fight for full custody. And people kept telling me, oh, well, you know, Jim, you're crazy. Just give her half the money, let her have the kids. And you know, I, had a, I, had a, I had a baseball contract to go back and play. Right. And I said, absolutely not. I don't want these kids raised like that. I, I, I want to give them some stability in a house to, to be raised in. And, and so I fought for them. And uh, I wouldn't, it's been eight years that they've been with me, and I wouldn't change that for the world. And uh, like I said, at the time of the accident, we had just began putting our lives back together and and I was putting money in the bank to buy a house. And uh, like I said, there's just certain times that God puts things in your life for, for reasons. And fortunately, through some of this, through those three years, um, there were some good things that happened. Uh, even though it was very painful for both families, um, you know, I met a woman now that I've moved out to LA to be with her and her, her two daughters and my three boys, and started a new life out here. And uh, my mother, through all this, because she spent a lot of time with me, found God through this. And so there were some positive things that happened. Um, through it, but it was just really, like I said, it was a test of faith, a test of belief, and just knowing that I had a brother-in-law who the book is dedicated to, Joe Turner, who, uh, during my two years of waiting, got ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, mm -hmm. and uh, passed away, and really put my thing in perspective, realizing, listen, you know what, I'm going through something really, really tough, but it's temporary. You know, he was mm -hmm. dealing with something, and uh, the way he handled his, you know, untimely, you know... He was dealing with a final destination, and you... you you had a chance to work through your things. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, well, there, there was there was there was a lot of things, that, and that's what I'm saying. I'm hoping now to be able to go out and and change some lives and talk to people about. And that's why I wrote the book because the people that wrote they, that were the publishers said, "Listen, I think you have a story that can reach a lot of people in a lot of different ways with faith." And, you know, and it was it was one of those things. Besides my career, fighting and never being drafted and making it to the big leagues, having that big moment that every kid dreams about. It wasn't, you know, I, there were still some hardships that I, that I had to learn a lot of lessons from and what other people could learn from, and so I decided to share that in the book. Okay, well, we'll take another break. You my kind of guy. Never drafted, made the best of your situation, became the best. <laughs> two king. times. Two times. We'll come the back. king, yes, Kwame said. Yeah, I should have been the king, too. I, I wasn't drafted. Uh, no. <laughs> squire. Hey, squire. Yeah, jester. <laughs> These busters. They hate me, Jim. They hate me over here. <laughs> the court hate, uh, hey, We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. And I want to ask you about your second chance in life, because you're doing some things. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. flagship station for sports voice america sports are you ready for an old school in your face discussion of professional college and high school football tune in for talk on a variety of football related topics on the program from under the helmet with Derek kennard you will hear the week's headlines and straight talk from the hosts and weekly guests that are personal and provocative from under the helmet is broadcast every monday at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern on the voice america sports channel 
Well, and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. All right, welcome back to the Formula Sports Talk. We got Alex in the studio, Ken and ATL. Kenya Simone. Kenya, you're doing WGCI. Uh, what is it? Talk to me, Kenya. You said, what is it? No. Did I, did, no, no. Did I say it right? The number station in Chicago. I know what it is. You're so hard-headed. I know what it is. But it's in Chicago. I would want to get the, the name right. WGCI. Yes, WGCI okay. 107.5 in Chicago. All right. Yeah, check out Kenya Simone. She's uh, She get her sexy voice on at night, too. I don't know what, why, but she does. It's just natural. I mean, you know, around all these handsome guys, I got to hold my own over here. Anyway, we are <laughs> on with the World Series star, Jim Larry is 11 years in the major, uh, known as the King. Now, we were talking off air. Jim, Ken want to know, and Alex want to know, how you get the name the King. Because yeah, I can't know, be the king. I wasn't drafted either. I can't. I don't know why I can't be the king. Nah, he's the jester. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it was one of those situations where we played a couple games. And I caught a couple home runs, and I always kidded Don Mattingly and the whole team about that I could hit. Cause I never played every day, so I did a lot of talking. And I said, <laughs> you know what? I could hit with anything. Just you know, anytime I go up to the plate, I can hit. So Don Mattingly, we were playing in Baltimore, and Don Mattingly told me to go use Don, uh, Danny Tartable's bat, which is a big bat. And I went up there and I struck out. And the whole team was just ragging on me. Like, oh, I thought you could hit with anything. I said, you know what? If I wanted to, I'll take my own bat up there and I'll hit a home run on the first pitch. And sure enough, the next time I come up, Rick, Rick Sutcliffe was pitching. He threw a first pitch fastball. I hit a three run home run on the first pitch. I came back in the dugout and Donnie was like, okay, that's it. You're the king. You're the king. <laughs> <laughs> that's, started, that's what started it. But then, of course, me being out in New York City, going to all the Ranger games, all the premieres. It was kind of like the king is in the building type of thing too. So the nickname just continued to grow as I as I was out in New York. Yeah, you you can call your own shots. You ought to get some um mm-hmm. some Babe Ruth type stuff, isn't it? You can call <laughs> your own you call your own shots. You can you can be the king. I was smart. I called it every time I went out there, so it had to happen once in a while. <laughs> yeah, especially if you didn't play much. And you know, there was guys on my team like that didn't play much, but they always talk about what they can do when they get out there. They just happen to get lucky. But you mm. call you did it every time you went out there. Yeah, yeah, when I did it during the postseason, when with, with, with most people watching, King of the postseason. Yeah, so. yeah, because you had a nice little stretch there right after the '96 series, where um, you were probably one of the most popular guys in baseball. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that that and you were just a basically turned turn that around, and, and that's part of it. I got I got caught up in it a little bit and enjoyed a, a New York probably a little more than I should have, and uh, then I went to San Diego, and of course we had so much success there, mm-hmm. um, and came back to play against the Yankees and. Uh, then I get traded again in 99 back to the Yankees, and my one at bat is the last home run of the century that I hit against the Braves in game four of the 99 series. So just some very special moments that I had during that time. That you made, Not uh, being an everyday player, having those moments, I was like, wow, you know, this, I, I've been pretty lucky. You made King cry. Did you play Little League? Did you play Little League baseball when you were younger? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, it was basketball was my number one sport until my junior year of high school. Uh, okay. My, my father told me, you know, you can be a college basketball player, but you can't play pro. 
what do you want to do? And I said, I want to play professional athletes. He said, then stick to baseball. And uh, so I played my senior year both sports, but really pursued baseball. And I guess my dad was probably right. Yeah, I yeah. keep telling my son that, but he don't listen to me. And he, he needs somebody else to tell him because if I tell him, he just, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah. Oh, believe me, I get the same thing with my kids. I have the three boys, and you know, I tell them every day, oh, you know, come out to the baseball field. And I'm like, Dad, you don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> I'm like, that's, you know, that's great to hear. Yeah, you're talking to the king, son. Go to your room. <laughs> hey, uh, Jim, let me ask you about your son. How's he doing? Well, yeah, my youngest one. Youngest now, he's son. 10 years old now. Um, yeah, he had a couple situations early on when he was before nine months old. Uh, had this disease he was born with called craniostenosis, and uh, it's a fusion of the skull where it doesn't allow your your brain to grow. And at nine months, they have to go in and do major surgery to to put the sutures actually in the skull for allow it to grow. And it's just a very difficult time for us because you know anytime a, 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 your child goes through surgery, but especially at nine months when you can't really explain to them the pain that they're going to feel and what they're going through. And to watch it was just was just very difficult for my ex-wife. Yeah, and I. you feel so helpless because you can't. Exactly. But, yeah. but in a way that, you know, I can talk about it in the book, how God works sometimes in our life is a week before surgery, uh, I was changing him. And as every father does, I turned my back as I was going to get the diaper and he rolled off the bed and he hit his head on the floor and he got a, real, a big hematoma on his head. Mm-hmm. And we took him to the hospital because it wouldn't stop growing. And sure enough, we found out that he had a blood deficiency, that, he, that his blood didn't caught correctly. And he wasn't a true hemophiliac where he wouldn't bleed to death, but at the same time, it, you know, any type of a, you know, he was a, he was a bleeder, basically. And what we found out was, thank God that happened, because if it didn't, they wouldn't have had the plasma or the blood during the surgery to be able to take care of him, and we may have lost him through the surgery. So in a, in a strange way, that was the accident was, was, was a positive. Well, yeah, like you said earlier, God does put things in your life to make you a stronger person. And, and, and you coming out, and that's why I want you uh, to define your second chance of life. Uh, did it start with uh, uh, the help of a pastor of the Saddleback Church, Rick Warren? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, actually, my, my pastor at my church, uh, who I had been a part of for 10 years, um, I, I met with him three days after the accident just to, you know, just because I was lost. I was just trying to figure out what life was going to do and why God would put this in my life and, you know, just looking for answers. And he said to me, Jimmy, listen, you know, God's gonna, God left you here that night for a reason, and you won't know it for a while. But here, here's a book that I, that I think can help you get through some of the, these toughest times. Look for answers. It was The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren. And uh, just, that, just reading that book just completely gave me the strength and the power to just deal with everything that was going on and like I said during that three years um, it was just very difficult and I was very fortunate like I mentioned before uh, that I met a young lady through the two and a half years three years of waiting and I was explaining to her how I was getting through life and she because she was asking me how do you raise three boys knowing that you're on trial for this stuff what do you how do you do it I said you know it's my faith and my belief and she said well how did you get that and I said I read this book called the purpose-driven life and she said wait a minute that's the pastor of my church and since then, her and I have developed a relationship for two and a half years. I've moved to California, uh, and we've got an opportunity to meet uh, Pastor Rick. And I've become part of the church and a member of, you know, getting ready to become a member of that and, and do some work with them once I get out here full time. And uh, just really just amazing sometimes how, how things, tragic things happen in your life, but there are a lot of positive things that come from it. And, uh, you know, I, I always I said it in the book, it's, you know, the, the old saying that, you know, sometimes God does put us in situations we don't choose or want to be in 
but when we find ourselves in them, we learn from them and we, and we become better people. And mm-hmm. really, that's kind of what, how I feel. Like this whole situation in the three years that we've gone through uh, has, has given me an opportunity to speak to people and maybe change other people's lives. Mm-hmm. But are you, are you, yeah, the Purpose Driven Life, very, very powerful book. I love it. I'm so excited to read your book now, Jim. No, thank you. Thank hey, well, you. you can get it from, uh, is it Jim uh, com. Yeah, jimlayers.com uh-huh. is, is, is the uh, autograph book, too. It. It's an autograph book. I'm sitting in front with without an autograph book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make sure the next time I see you that I take care of you. <laughs> we going to L.A. soon, Aquami. We yeah, we are. Trip I, actually, well, we are. I'm, uh, well, you know, I, I am, I've been, I'm in the works of trying to do, to uh, become part of your airways also, so I'm hoping we can do something together here soon. Oh, definitely. Hell, definitely. Man, definitely. Uh, that's need why a baseball I wanted, analysis. Well, yeah, definitely. I want, that's why I wanted to ask you your second chance of life because you mentioned it in the first segment about you had a successful radio show going. You were doing things out there, uh, and we have we at Voice America Sports, and we we have fun. But there's no baseball here. Uh, I try to get guys like Spivey, but Spivey he can't get right. He got to take <laughs> he, he got to uh, he got to take pills uh, to get his mind right. And he's a good guy too, but yeah, he played for the Diamondbacks. He played uh, when they beat the Yankees. Uh, but we but a good. It would be perfect if you came up here and did the baseball stuff. We'd love to come on your show, um, get whomever we have to get to get on your show. Do well, that was just it, you know, and, and it, that was the great thing about uh, when I was when I first retired from baseball, not knowing what I was going to do to support the kids, even though I got custody because, you know, I spent all the money fighting for their custody. MLB.com, which is what I originally worked for, uh, I was able to do the show right out of my house and be home for the kids. But yet, yeah, still, you know, do two hours on the radio, and mm-hmm. it was a great opportunity. And uh, like I said, I I've been talking to to John Massal with you guys, and um, I'm hoping we're putting together something that we can do. A, oh yeah, a John, good guy. John, good guy. He uh he on top of his game. John, good yeah. guy. He bring he bring me guests. Yeah. Hey, King, hey, I got a couple of questions. Speaks fairly highly of this show. So. Yeah. Hey, King, got a couple of questions for you, Ken. Yeah. Hey, um, two people you play with. Derek Jeter just hit 3,000. Don Mattingly managing the Dodgers. Assess those for me, please. Don't boo Jeter. You know what? I'm going to boo Jeter, and we're going to talk about that in the last segment. I'm apologize, Ken. Uh, go That's ahead. That's okay. That's okay. Now, I tell you what, Don Mattingly to me, and you know, read it, he's the ultimate teammate. He was, the, to, to me, the greatest guy I've ever played with. Number one, not just being such a, a superstar, all-star player, but also uh, worried about the team, worried about teaching young players what you know, to, how to get better. and. Yeah, you know, I always talk about the story that you know, when he, whenever he was on the DL, I was the one replacing him. But yet he was out there every day helping me to to see if we could win, or teach you know, teach me something that may give our team an opportunity to win. And mm-hmm. like I said, just one of the to me one of the great all star players that I'd ever met. And uh, yeah, there's there's nothing I can I feel bad for him because of the situation he's in with the Dodgers. Yeah, but, really. <laughs> but, but if anybody can come out on top, he will. And uh, mm-hmm. as far as Jeter goes, you know what? To me, you know, here's a guy that. Uh, epitomizes if you want your kid to epitomize what this guy does on the field um, and the way he handles himself and, and the way he approaches the game every single day uh, he's the kind of guy that you you, you point your kids to because uh, and, uh, he, he just has never let these five championships or his success get to his head he's, he's been out there every day and, and battled and uh, yeah, I think he, like I said he's, he's one guy that's, that kids can still look up to well, I'm a I'm a Derek Jeter fan, but I'll tell you why I got an issue with him, and you probably all know why anyway. But I'm a Kyle Ripken Jr. fan too, a guy who approached the game like every game was going to be his last game, and he went out there and did his job. Uh, haven't missed a game in in years, but you know, you talk like you said, Jim, you're talking about 
how to mold yourself, which player to look up to. I believe all stars are on and off the field. You got some guys that you came into the right situation where you had someone willing to help you. Uh, and I think why I was able to, able to play 10 years is because I came into a team that had veterans. Uh, these guys were willing to help me. It wasn't that I'm going to take their job. It was like, okay, if they go down, they want me to come in. It was team first. They want me to come in and be able to uh, maintain so we can win games. It wasn't a, any personal issues like that. And I think that's the best part of how guys mature and grow a lot faster. They come in under certain they come under right. certain e- guys. Exactly. And that's what a true superstar is. He realizes that, you know, in order for him to be, a, you know, part of a successful team, he's got to bring everybody else with him. It just can't be him. And uh, you know, that's what Ripken did so well. And that's what Cheater has done with, with his team. And Don Manley did when I played. And, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's the most important thing is, mm-hmm. is to have that, that leader be not an egotistical guy. And if he is, he can bring a team down real quick. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, like I said, that's, that's the credit that you give some of these guys. And, and I'm a little disappointed in Jeter right now. I've I got to be honest because I think he needs to show up at the All-Star game no matter what, Thank whether you. he wants to play or not. This is a guy that's an ambassador to the game. That's what every kid and every fan looks up to. And he's handled himself so well through everything else. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a shame that, that maybe he's not going to show up mm-hmm. and at least you know, show his face and be a part of it, like an ambassador uh, for this game. And if he doesn't do that, then I think there's going to be a lot of poor people that are a little disappointed. Yeah, but this is our most popular American baseball player in the league. He does not show up. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I will be. Well, that was my issue. What am I? I mean, I'm a, like I said, I'm a Dirk Jeter fan. You don't show up emotional drain. You play baseball for them. You've been in the best since you came into the game. And you were just off three weeks. And you just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. But, okay, in all fairness, what if he's thinking, okay, there's no A Rod for the rest of the season. Maybe I should just kind of fall back a little bit and get myself ready to take us to the next level. Well, he's not even I didn't say, wait, I didn't say he had to play. Yeah, just show I up. Just said, so know, just show up, there. say hi to the fans, and right. sign some autographs and be there. I exactly. got it. And we'll exactly. talk, and we won't talk, I do want to talk to State of Baseball. Uh, Alex has a question, but we're going to go to the break. Uh, the last segment is probably about eight minutes, eight, nine minutes. So we do, I do want to get your opinion on State of Baseball right now today. Okay. Well, lots of sports. Ken and ATL, Alex in the studio. Kenya Simone, check her out, WGCI in Chicago. We'll be back in about two minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. 
We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it with 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. This is my second day starting, so welcome back to the Commonwealth wow. Sports. We are back live. We got the king going, Jim Lyrics. Check out his book on uh, www.jimlyrics.com. It's on autograph books, which I don't have, but I'm going to work on that. I'm going to go to L.A. We're going to get to L.A., and we're going to check out Jim. He does a lot of Paul. This is a guy who walked away from the game, played 11 uh, years in the majors. Not drafted. Let me add that to it. Not drafted. See, this is where the best. I think this is where the best players come from because you you got a chance for a whole bunch of buses coming in the first round. But a guy who's drafted, you know exactly what you gonna get from him. And I tell people this all the time. That's just my opinion because I wasn't drafted. But who knows what these prognosticators know? Get <laughs> a word, man. I, I, try, I try to do. A, I try to do a little bit something here and there. Twenty-five cent word. Oh, don't worry about that. That's a, if I'm scrabbling, I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> hey, do, do we have Deborah on the line? We do. Deborah, how you doing? Hey, Kwame, doing good. And you? I am great. I got the king on the show. And then and you coming on next week. Oh, yeah, looking great. forward to it. Give me a brief rundown, because I want to ask the king his, about his uh, uh, the state of baseball right now. Uh, but got it. But give me a brief rundown of what, what you do exactly. Because Kenya might need well, your help. My company is called Clear Edge. I'm an elite performance expert, so I work with pro and aspiring pro athletes to make sure that they can keep their head in the game even when they're frustrated, you know, just totally ticked off and upset um, using the neurosciences, all the latest brain research and cutting-edge technology and teaching them exactly how they can build routines to be able to play at their competitive best at all times. Yeah, well, yeah. well, we needed that. We need that in football because there's a lot of head injuries and brain injuries uh, that take place that they don't want to account for. Uh, well, they, they, yeah, you think about walking onto any field and uh, you've got a game plan, you've got a playbook as to what you're going to do under any circumstances. So I do the same thing with the mind and emotions and figure out what those plays are going to be and uh, handle them in the moment. And, and I think the best players, and Jim might be attested to this, they play, they play with a calm mind. Jim, what is the worst injuries or the the consistent injuries that, that they get in baseball hamstrings yeah usually it's a, it's a, yeah it's a pulled hamstring or like shoulder injuries from throwing too much oh okay uh no no uh, that tommy john stuff oh no just icing up the shoulder most of the time really uh yeah usually rotator cuff and and labrum tears are usually what are, are most common not not serious injuries but aggravating to a point where you have to you know you, you can still go out and play but it's very difficult. Are there uh, too many games in baseball right now? And I, I want to ask you that because I think they can cut that down to 152, something like that. Well, you, know what it, you know what it is? It's, it's, they, they've made the postseason longer. Um, Financial money. And unfortunately, um, you know, you're talking almost 200 games that players play every year. Yeah. 
and uh, that's very difficult on the body, very difficult. I think, like you said, I think if you cut it back to 142 games with what it used to be, I think you could, number one, finish baseball before November, which would be nice. Um, but also it would, it would cut down on some of the injuries and some of the things. But you know, then you've got to take a look at financially whether the owners are willing to do that. No, the owners are all about them uh, dollars. It's just like yeah. we, what we're going through right now with the CBA and the NFL. It's, it's, a, it's the difference between $2 billion. Who's going to get the majority of that $2 billion? Uh, and right now I think the holdup is in the rookie uh, pay scale. I, I don't think – I'm a fan of guys getting money. I say this all the time on the show. I'm a fan of – if you come in, you get $50 million from somebody, get it. But when you haven't played a down, not one down, and this guy's been in the league for five years before you, haven't even, not going to even make that $50 million, some, got, some things have to change. No, I agree. I agree. You know, that, you know, I'm looking at guys. I played 11 years, and I made you know, $10 million. And you know, even though I wasn't every day, but it was, you, know, you see guys getting $11 million for signing bonuses. Now. Right. Yeah. That guy hasn't played a day in the big leagues yet. And, and, and it really, it takes away from, I think, what these guys when they get there, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it, it, that, to me, that, that, that's the part that, you know, gets, gets a little disappointing as to watching these guys. Uh, because, the, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm with you. Hey, if somebody's going to pay me $50 million, I'm taking Yeah, get million. it. Well, if, the, if you can give me 50 you must have got 100 Exactly. Yeah, you know, get, and, get it. And that's just it. I mean, when we struck in 94, when we went our strike for 94, you know, we were, the highest paid player was $8 million, $9 million. And they were telling us on the phone, because a couple guys wanted to cross the line, they're like, wait a minute, trust us, guys. One day, someone's going to make $30 million. We're <laughs> like, yeah, right, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Tell yeah. $250 million. Exactly. So now you see it. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think the football players and the, and, and the hockey and basketball, the unions have learned from that. Is they listen, there's a lot of money that we're not a part of. Yeah, that these owners are making that we should be because you know, without us, the, without the product, they can't sell it. Right, because when in '94 in baseball, when a lot of scabs, well, I call them scabs, when guys came over, it wasn't the same product on the field, and that's what these owners don't understand. You can hold out if you want to, uh, but when you try to put scabs on the field, you're not getting the same productivity. You're not getting the same fans watching the game. Um, and Kenya, she's a huge Chicago fan, so yeah, you know, imagine you you got to think about the fans. You got to put the fans in perspective of when you're going through these type of situations, these deals. Well, I just put the, the game itself right now is so good and it's so popular. Why why take any chances? And I think you know, hopefully they'll, they'll they'll come up with something pretty quick. Yeah, it's that money, but who can get the majority of football wise? Who can do? I always thought baseball had better representatives than us. We have former players who's looking out for themselves for the most part. We always thought baseball did the right thing. They had lawyers that were, right. doing, that were doing their jobs. Right. Let me talk about this All-Star game before we get off. Uh, Deborah, you, uh, you can t- chime in anytime. Uh, the All-Star game, is it weighs heavily on who has home field advantage. A lot of guys are not playing, mainly some of the pitchers, because they just pitch Sunday or uh, they need their four- or five-day rest. Uh, but baseball, the All-Star game, Give me your assessment on that and where is it going and, and it should it be more competitive or should it just be an all-star, just a fun game and not weigh heavily on who has home field during the World Series? Well, you know, Bud Sidley did that to try to make it more interesting because he didn't like the fact that Barry Bonds was picking up Torrey Hunter, you know, and they were making kind of a, you know, a joke out of it uh, and having fun with it. So they changed that a little bit. So it has become a little more serious. But at the same time, like you said, you're not getting true representation of the greatest players in the game. Um, and it's unfortunate. You know, you look, I was just watching the other day, and, you know, you look back at the 1971 All-Star game, 
and you look at those players and you're like, wow, you know, there's 25, 30 Hall of Famers there. You know, that they were the best players in the game playing, and unfortunately, we don't have that. And and maybe it's maybe it is like you said, taking a few more games off. You know, give the players you know, have the All Star break, stop on Sunday, but not play till Wednesday, and right. then start up again till the following week. Can maybe have a whole week off. Yeah, that would make sense. To where you can use the great players. Yeah, if you're gonna weigh, if it's gonna weigh heavily on who has the home field advantage in World Series, and home field in World Series is huge, um, then you gotta, then you want to stop those guys on Wednesday so they can play in the game. Especially uh, if you're paying two hundred dollars for tickets. To oh get my in. goodness! It cost me four eighty just before I even walked in the stadium. <laughs> That's the thing too. I think you got to look at you know what's the purpose of a game, and make sure that whatever that purpose is that it's being fulfilled. And if the purpose is to be out and about and amongst the fans so they get to get up close to you, that's different than if the purpose of the game is to get out there and you know have the best of the best playing on the field. So you've got to look at the, you know, the end result you're looking to achieve and make sure you achieve that. And I love the idea of giving a longer break so the best of the best can be out there really playing against each other like they did back in the day. Right. You know, that made it exciting. Yeah, you have, uh, like, like Jim said, you got Hall of Famers on the field, like 25 of them. Jim, uh, give me the, you co- you're doing baseball right now, right? The Newark? I'm, I'm, coaching, I'm coaching in Newark with Tim Raines and uh, Ron Karkovite. Oh, Tim Raines, you, you would... Okay, the King and Tim Rains. Okay, that's got to be a pretty good baseball team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, I tell you what, the kids, the kids are enjoying us having us as coaches. That's for sure. You guys probably give a lot of life skills uh, to those kids, not just baseball, but a lot of life skills. We got a minute to break till it's over with, uh, but a lot of life skills to those kids. And I, I get, man, you get that, you can soak it up. Kenya and I were talking on the phone how more teachers need to teach them about life and, and Wally in school teaching. But I can imagine you, Tim Rains giving a lot of life skills to these young guys. Yeah, well, that's just it. You know, for me, especially for me, being able to be an inspiration to some of these kids is not being a drafted player. These are kids that have, they're playing independent baseball. They're playing for the love of the game because they've never been drafted. They've never been given that chance, and uh, all they're looking for is just a, even a shot at the minor leagues. And uh, So it's, it's great to be there. Okay. Well, hey, Catching Heat, Jim Lyrics. You can go to get his book on www.jimlyrics.com. Autograph book. Uh, it's great read. Great story. His story, and I, I always say, everybody can tell your story, but they can't tell it like you can. You know, when you have the facts right there, um, for the first time, Jim Lyric's book is out. Go get the book. You check, check it out on his website. Like I said, Jim, I appreciate you coming on the show. You're welcome to any time, and I hope you do come on the Voice America Sports Network uh, and bring some baseball knowledge to the uh, to the station. Now I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you guys giving me the time. Thanks. No, no problem. Darab, you know what? I'll see you next week. I'll talk to you next week, or you come on any time as well. Kenya, I appreciate you. Thank Ken you so from much. the ATL had to go talk to his boss. He sit on his boss' lap. Alex is in the studio. <laughs> we, we will see you guys next We'll talk to you guys next week. Next Tuesday, 9 a.m. Check out the fan page for some energyforce.com bracelets. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.